Eva. My name is Aaron Moss, and this is the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, presented by Head Speaks. This is an hourish long podcast where we'll talk about the Will Payton Starman comic and the Mark Shaw Manhunter comic from the late 80s, early 90s. We'll talk about every appearance of these two great characters. If you've never read them or haven't read them in a while, this may be a good time to explore these issues. Now, let's get started with our first comic. Welcome back to episode 21. This covers the October of 1989 releases. First up, we're going to look at Manhunter number 20. Cover date was December of 1989, but as I just said, this came out in October. Just October the 17th of 1989, to be more precise, for the price of $1. The title of this issue is called Face of Steel. Written by Kim Yell, plotted by John Ostinger, penciled by Grant Meenham, anchor was John Statham, colorist Carl Gafford, editor Jonathan Peterson, the cover was done by Grant Meenham and Dick Giordano. The synopsis, while Kazoo Hazelag fights to his death against Dumas, Mark Shaw and Raoul rescue the Shaw family. Mark meets, returns with them to New York. After visiting his mother in the hospital, Mark returns home to find that Dumas has had his apartment bombed. Mark then goes back to Tokyo. This leads to a rooftop fight between Dumas and Manhunter. Dumas rigs, bat- Dumas rigs Mark's baton to explode then flees as the rooftop blows up. Now we'll jump into the issue, starting as usual with the cover. The cover we have our trade dress we've been having for the last, the, the previous two issues. On the left hand side, it says Saints and Sinners, part three of six. We got our credits here on the side. Uh, we got our Manhunter logo, and then the, the main part of the cover is taken up by an exploding building. Uh, we see Mark falling from the building. He's in his Manhunter costume, sands the mask. And it appears sans baton. Uh, so it looks like this issue's telling us, again, if we're going by the cover, that apparently Mark's involved in some sort of explosion in a building, and he goes falling towards the streets below. We start out with the first page. Uh, again, I'm not going to cover this page by page, but this first page is really nice. It's We're looking at hotel hotel. Try that again. A, a, a hospital room. We're looking at an overhead shot along the... F- Front, a one wall, and then the back wall, it says face and still, and then on the bed it says of, so we get face of still for the title. We get our credits over in the window, and we get Mark walking in holding a bunch of flowers. Now, what's the story? What's the story, Morning Glory? And his mom's in the bed. Mark! I just like the way the scene's laid out for an opening splash page starting our story. Uh, we get Mark walking in the, the uh, I keep on saying hotel room, hospital room. It lays it out. It's a very nice looking page. I really like this. And then we get a little back and forth between Mark and his mom. Talking about their past, about his dad. And she takes a look at Mark's bag and pulls out the mask. And I guess this is the first time she's actually stu- actually looked at it. Because she's like, well, I thought it would be heavier than this. And his mom says how you know he doesn't have to do this anymore. Hugh, his, which is his dad, is dead, and Elliot, his stepdad, doesn't demand that of, doesn't demand that of him. So again, it's cutting to the heart of the matter of why, or at least why his mom feels that he's being manhunters. He has to. He feels he has to live to some lofty expectations that his father has set. And his mom's like, "Well, you don't have to do that. He's dead. There's no reason for you to do this just to prove a point or just to prove something. I mean, the only one that cared is no longer with us. So why bother?" And Mark's standing there, his mom makes a comment. You know, you used to stand like that when you were summing up for a jury. And Mark kicks a lawyer, but it's a funny little exchange. like, that's not why I'm at her. Objection overruled. <laughs> Just where is this going? And again, him and his mom have a little talk. I like this little this little heart-to-heart between Mark and his mom. Because again, his mom, she cares for her son. And Mark not only cares for his family, but he's done some wrong in the past. And so I think, again, in my opinion... And from what I've seen in the, over this, the last 20 issues, Mark's trying to make amends for things he's done. And the best way for him to do that is to be Manhunter.
And again, he says here that, you know, this whole man, this whole Dumas thing has put a knife in our throats and I can't forgive myself for that. I don't remember if you get, got hurt. She'd been me, not Jamie. And I'm, it's my fault. I'm scared. And she's like, well, I know, I know you're going to do the right thing. Just come back to us, Mark. I love you. I love you too, Mom. So again, I love this little scene between Mark and his mom. And it's a very, they're here on bottom page four as Mark turns and tells, you know, I never meant for you to get hurt. It should have been me. He's got a tear in his eye. I really love the way this scene plays out. It's very nice. It's very a very heartfelt scene. And then we go back to Mark's apartment, find out it's been firebombed. And I like this. Lieutenant Bess is like, got landlord problems, Shaw? It's like, yeah, I guess he finally decided to fumigate the joints. <laughs> You got cockroaches so bad you need to blow them up, right? Look, you look at the, you. You look at this fuse. It's kind of used with plastic explosives. Real professional, real effective. And then uh, on a wall, I'm not sure if it's on the closet or on the wall. We see one of Mark Shaw's uh, the Manhunter costumes with knives. Dumas's knife stuck into the mask and into the costume itself. And best, he's like, "That's one sick puppy, Shaw." Looks like you finally bit off more than you can chew. And I think I think Lieutenant Bess is enjoying this a little more than he should probably be enjoying it. Not that he should enjoy anyone suffering, but again, there's been a lot of lot of uh, problems between Lieutenant Best and Mark Shaw. So again, he's, he's kind of enjoying seeing Mark, you know, under the gun like this, I think. We find out that uh, Best grilled him for over an hour straight. Uh, he sized up the questions as, again, Lieutenant Bess has a wife and daughter, as we've seen in the past, and he doesn't want them being targets or Mark's trying to avoid them being caught up in this whole affair. He tells Lucky, and again, this is all done in uh, Mark's thoughts. He's like, he's lucky he's taking passports in the tote bag. Not so lucky about his computer and equipment. He's got one mask, one baton. And again, as I've said before, this is the final storyline for Manhunter. Uh, his issue ends, I don't know if I've, I think I've said this before, his issue ends with issue 24, which is a couple issues away. And a lot of this scene, and again, maybe it's just because I know what's coming. I know what's coming up. But a lot of this does seem like final closure type stuff. They're, they're, he's on one costume, one baton, his apartment's been destroyed. Uh, people are being killed off. I don't know, I just, and again, like I said, maybe it's because I'm looking at this from, I, I can't remember because I read first read this when it came out 30 years ago. So like, almost 30 years ago. So I can't remember my exact thoughts at the time, but looking back at it now, knowing what's going to happen, this does seem like it's a the, the final finale? Finale of the series. Uh, what do you guys think? Again, I'm going to, my, my critique of this, I'm only on page six, but I'm going to interject real quick. And what do you guys think? Does this seem like a, an ending to it? Or am I reading too much into it knowing what's coming up? What do you guys think? But again, we get uh, Mark wondering, you know, he's talking about how, you know, he, he doesn't know who Dumas could be. Dumas can change his face. We could be, you know, a taxi cab driver, a businessman, a tourist. He could be on the plane. He's like, he's like my dad, he's like, I'm somewhere if Dumas waited for me, we're in the face of who? A taxi cab driver, a businessman, an American tourist. He could be on this plane. My death could walk up the aisle and... About this point, a steward is walking up to him. Excuse me, sir. Please turn your seat for an upright position to landing. And he's like, why did you have to smile at Kazuo? So again, I do like how Mark said, this could be anybody. Dumas could be anybody coming at me. And about this time, the steward just touches him. Excuse me, sir. He's out there. Oh, oh, heck. <laughs> just very funny scene here. And then we get Mark Shaw talking with Kazuo, and this, we're back in the past, where Kazuo is uh, dressing up in Mark Shaw's costume, and we're basically going back and finding what happened that led up to Kazuo fighting Dumas, and Mark, Mark has his, his Manhunter mask he got from the Savage Cross, I think it was the Savage Cross, Savage Cross people, that mini mask he has, while uh, Kazuo has his actual mask. And again, there's a little talk, and he rushes off to save his family. He takes out some guards. So again, the next couple pages shows. I like here on page ten, as it's going on, Mark's freeing his family. We get cutbacks to 
Dumas's and Manhunter's fight, and we get a little uh, editor's note here. All this flashback takes place at the same time as last issue's fight. Got it? Time Master Jonathan. <laughs> so I like a little, in case you, you're, you got lost when you see Mark talking to a dead guy in the Manhunter costume, you know what's happening exactly. That We're doing a little flashback, and, and I do like how they do that. They, they kind of showed us what we missed last issue that they didn't show us. So again, the prisoners escape. And again, it's just a couple of just them fighting and the building blowing up. And then we get Mark Shaw on a, a mount of some sort. I'm not quite sure where this is at, but he's knelt. He's got his baton in the air. And he's like, uh, what is he saying here? He's like, well, uh, he's saying that Doom is going to die at the hands of a manhunter. Our enemies fear the face of steel. The will to do this cold visage kneels. I am the face of justice revealed. And behind him up in the air, we got like a big uh, serpent, if you will, of a giant lion. And he says, no man escapes the man there. So he's doing like a manhunter thing here as he's vowing to stop Dumas. And it's a really nice, nice, neat scene as he's doing this vow as he's promising to take down Dumas. And so we're back. Uh, I'm not sure where we're at. It doesn't say. But we get Mark blowing up an apartment building. And Dumas approaches me like, that was, how does the phrase go? Oh, yes, tit for tat, bombing my apartment. Such a petty act. You profane the manner in a mask. I shall just enjoy destroying it. And you. I am the face of your death. And again, we get another couple pages here of uh, Mark and Manhunter. Mark and Manhunter? Manhunter and Dumas doing some little fight, fight, fight. While we get Mark's over, overlay thoughts of everything that's going on. Manhunter, Dumas throws a knife into Manhunter's hand, damaging his hand. Trying to stay caught up here. Looks like he grabs part of there. He takes the manhunter's baton and smashes part of the manhunter's mask with it. Yeah, his baton's in the enemy's grasp. His mask is damaged. And again, this this next couple of some fights here. Manhunter's he's lost his uh, baton. His mask is damaged. Dumas, you know, kicks him down. He's like, "I have your baton. Your face is maimed. Your mask shattered. You are vanquished. I proclaim manhunter dead." Ah, the baton, the acme of manhunter technology. And he sets it, sets it and throws it off into the, next to this coil of rope. He's like, a final challenge. I have overloaded the magnetic pulse filled to your baton. It will explode in 15 seconds. Unless, of course, you can find it and disarm it. Sarnora, Mark, Mark Shaw. Mark pulls his broken mask off. His face is damaged. It's hard for him to see. And he goes looking for you. The vision's blurry. That's why he doesn't walk over to it. He's badly damaged at this point. And he gets crawling up to it. And he's like, vision's blurred. So he's counting down. Four, three, not going to make it. And he's reaching for the baton. We cut to a far scene, and we see basically the cover. We see the roof of this building exploding. Roof of this building exploding. Kaboom! It's thirty days sin after sin. We can, and again, we can't say for certain, but seeing how this is part three of six, there's two more issues to go at least in this little run. We can assume Mark's probably not dead by this point, and that's part of the problem. With a, a story within a story like this, you know, it tells us this issue three of six, or part three of six, more than likely, and again, there are some writers that surprise you and kill your character off and then do something else with the last couple of issues, but, and again, they may, again, I haven't read this in years, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that John and Kim's not going to kill Mark off and, and, and screw around for the last couple of issues, so that's one thing that, in most superhero comics, the superheroes always usually be in pet in danger. Is he going to die? And that's one of the things you have to face reading superhero comics is there is that willing disbelief that, or suspension of disbelief, that they put these characters in situations where they may die. And you know damn well, they're, most of the time, the character's not going to die. So that is one problem, again, in quotes, with the superhero genres that, that there's these Situations where we expect that the superhero is going to die when we know they're not, just because again, this is the title character. If this was issue five, maybe I could see it, but yeah, being issue three of six, there's still a couple more issues to go. Uh, this is three of six, so yeah, there's like three issues to go. Yeah, I don't see them killing them off with three issues to go in this series or this, this you know, mini series, so. But overall, I enjoyed it. It's great artwork. It's standard, you know, Mark Shaw Manhunter artwork. It's been through the book. I enjoy the artwork. I enjoy the storytelling. 
Oh, that minor little quibble, which is is, is relevant, not relevant, but it's uh, prevalent through most superhero works that you have that suspension of disbelief that, well, did the character die? Well, no, he didn't die. He'll be back next month. And so I guess it's not so much is he, did he die as how is he getting out of this. And sometimes writers do it good. Sometimes they don't do it so good. Uh, back, In fact, I just talked about this over on my uh, Task Force X podcast back in issue 14 of the Manhunter when he was fighting the uh, Cobra guys. And we find out, and I talked about it a little bit back then when I covered it in this podcast, that Mark was fighting one of these ninja guys on the train. He threw him into the third rail, somehow switched clothing with him quick enough before the bad guy's buddies caught up with him so he could throw the guy off and make it look like Manhunter was escaping, got full of bullet holes. That, it lets you, you know, what did Mark, did he die? What happened? Again, that one there. Again, I don't want to say anything bad about John Austin. I love him. He's a great writer. I love everything he does for the most part. But that one there was stretching the lines of credibility a little bit. So we'll have to come back next month and see how uh, Kim and John gets Mark out of this situation. Will it be a little more realistic? Again, realistic in quotes. Or will it be uh, one of those suspensions like, "Eh, I don't know. So I'm going to hold off on a final... the thought or a final, you know, uh, judgment on these until we see next issue and see how they ended. But again, I'm enjoying what it is. So I'm going to play some commercial breaks and I will be right back with you. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hey, Gene, we should do a podcast. Sounds like a great idea, Jeff, but... What will we talk about? How about a superhero that we both love? Perfect. Some like Thor or Captain America? Uh, both great choices, but um, I think they're being covered by somebody else already. Wait, I've got it. What about the protector of the universe? Like Voltron? No, no, no. The guy with the jewelry that lets him create whatever he wants. Ah, Green Lantern, nice. Close. No, this guy has cosmic awareness. Captain Marvel? Almost. I mean, Quasar! Ah, oh, Quasar. Who doesn't love a good Quasar? Tune in to the Quantum Cast, covering all things Quasar. Yes, that's right. You can find us at quantumbands.blogspot.com. And on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Yeah, that, that didn't sound scripted at all, did it? secret governmental organization operating behind the scenes. Task Force X. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed, and I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't. You'll be dead. Any other stupid questions? The Suicide Squad, ran by Amanda Waller. I'm Amanda Waller. I'm here to indoctrinate you convicts into our special forces. And there's Checkmate, ran by Harry Stein. This is the tales of DC Comics, Suicide Squad, and Checkmate. Mostly monthly from Headspeaks. Available on iTunes under Task Force X and under Headcasts over at headspeaks.com. We can also be found on Facebook and Google Plus under Task Force X. Task Force X. Check it out. Or you'll answer to the wall. Nobody screws the wall! Thanks for staying with us. Now we're going to move on to our next title, Starman number 17. Again, cover date was December of 1989. On sale date was October 31st, 1989. Happy Halloween, kids. Cover price was $1. The title of this issue is called Deadly Attraction. Written as usual by Roger Stern, penciled by Tom Lyle, inker Scott Hanna, 
Letterer Timothy Harkins, colorist Carl Gafford, editor Brian Michael Augustine, and the cover was done by Tom Lyle. In comments for this story, and as usual, the comments, the credits, the synopsis, and all that comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Thanks, you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Great site. <clears throat> the comment says, This story takes place prior to Just League Europe number 7, in which Power Girl was critically injured. An editor's note confirms the sequence of events. Also, Power Girl mentions that Dr. Polaris was given amnesty for helping during the war with the Anti-Monitor. That's a reference to the Crisis on Infinite Earths. And, of course, the story is continued next month in Starman number 18. Now let's go for the synopsis. Power Girl uses the Just League teleportation device to travel from Paris to New York. Her trip is sidetracked, and she winds up in New Mexico lab of Dr. Neil Emerson. Her sudden arrival triggers Emerson's split personality, causing him to become Dr. Polaris again. Power Girl is initially trapped by Polaris, but when his mind begins to wander, she escapes. Unable to contact the Just League for help, Power Girl seeks out Starman to assist her. Starman arrives on the scene, but Dr. Polaris is able to take them both down. Uh, now, as usual, we'll go to the cover. In the cover we see in the background a large image of Dr. Polaris, his arm or his hands glowing. In the foreground we have Will, aka Starman, and Power Girl uh, fighting his uh, power, it looks like. Uh, the cover blurb here says Dr. Polaris, the master of magnetism, is back. Deadly attraction. I think this is a good cover. Uh, the background's got a lot of reds in it. It's a red background with like a Polaris like in blue with his, his red versus face. And we got our heroes front and center. Uh, it's a very nice color, cut color. Very nice cover, very uh, dramatization of what's going to happen inside. Uh, overall, I like this cover. It's a, very, it's a good cover. Uh, moving on to the story itself. Again, we start at the Paris Embassy of the Just League International. And we get an editor's note here that takes says this is Hmm, try that again. We have an editor's note that says this story takes place prior to Just League Europe number seven. Again, for more on Just League Europe, check out Friend of the Show, the Irredeemable Shag's Just League Wahahaha podcast. Episode seven, he should be up to there probably, uh, Just League Europe seven, he should be up to there probably about a year or so from now. Or maybe a little less. It's a great show. Uh, we get Power Girl lifting a huge piece of machinery. It's a power unit. And she's like, what was it you want? She's like, what'd you want? And Flash is like, I was just going to suggest that we, uh, that is, uh, you'll be ready to open the door for you? Like, thanks, I got it. Uh-huh. And she puts the tube down. She says she's going to New York for a hot shower. And he's like, oh, yeah, see ya. And I thought Wonder Girl could be intimidating. And Kakara's like, no suit would come on? This is our new, this is our new Flash starting to finally mature? And so, again, Flash is Wally West at this time and... Prior to this, especially in the Just League book, he was rather immature, making the, the kind of like the Blue Beetle Booster Gold of the Just League Europe set. And he refers to Wonder Girl. Uh, Wonder Girl is one of his teammates back in the Teen Titan days, a.k.a. Donna Troy, a uh, contemporary, not contemporary, a, a sidekick in quotes to Wonder Woman. Uh, again, I like Power Girl's costume in here. I love Flash. But yeah, we get Power Girl and she wakes up in a lab somewhere. And all of a sudden she gets blasted by... Dr. Polaris. Again, not much to say about these first couple pages. It'd be good artwork. It's, it's our standard artwork for this series by uh, the marvelous Tom Lyle. And then our third page here, we're back in Phoenix, Arizona, where we get Tom, Tom, uh, Will and his mom and sister back from San Francisco from the events of last issue where uh, Will's dad was discovered and ended up dying. And Jane's wanting to talk about what they discovered, wants to talk about her dad. And her mom's very much like, well, I don't want to talk about it. Nothing's wrong. We're fine. Let's go on with our life. Let's move on. And Will's thinking, don't push her, Jane. Just be glad she's answering it all. Because, again, his mom's very headstrong and doesn't... She, she's the type that doesn't want to deal with reality for the most part. What's in the past is in the past. And she doesn't want to have to think about her ex-husband who left them 20 years ago. And, again, we here on page four, we get a bit of flashback about what happened in that's last issue. You don't need to really cover that with your last issue. And then the top of page five, we see a funeral service for uh, Will's dad, Raymond Deming. And it looks like they're the only people there. And again, I just, and again, I can understand where Will's mom's, Marie's coming from. Again, she, her husband left them. She had to work a lot of hard, do a lot of hard work, a lot of odd jobs to make ends meet for the family, for her and her kids. While her husband's, Traipsing out, going God knows what, and 
while he is dead and nothing can be done about it, she is still feeling the hurt. So again, I, I couldn't, can't really blame her for not wanting to talk about it and for her feelings towards her ex-husband. And as she says here, uh, Jane's trying to get her to talk and Marie's like, that man walked out on us 20 years ago. Some days I cursed him, other days I prayed for him to return. He's dead now. It's over and done with. And Jane's like, it's not over. It's not all over. And Marie's like, this is as far as I'm concerned. I'll waste another minute on my time on him. And Ron goes in and slams the door. And again, both Marie and Jane are rather hard-headed women. Jane, Marie doesn't want to talk about it. Jane wants to. You get two hard-headed women and you can have a lot of problems. <laughs> but Jane talks to her brother about it a little bit. And Jane doesn't like the fact that her family doesn't like talking about things. And here on page six, Will's, you know... He's like, well, you know, you gotta get mom to talk to me about it. And he's like, no, mom doesn't want to talk. She just wants to forget. So he walks off and Will thinks about how Jane's too young to remember the arguments that his parents used to have. And then he remembers a lot clearer than he'd like to. His dad, as we talked about last, he couldn't hold a job, couldn't raise, face raising a family. And like he's like, right now, I'd rather fight blockbusters than make mom dig up the past. <laughs> So again, as I said last, as you had a little bit of talk about this, I, I do know where Will's coming from, having parents that fight. Uh, that's not good on the kids. And again, Will was old enough to remember the fights. Jane was young enough that it, she doesn't really seem to remember the arguments and the fights and everything that her parents had, which is a good thing for her because, again, that can be traumatizing. That can, you know, really mess up the, the kids' mentality and their, their thought process. So... As far as what he's been through, Will's turned especially between his parents fighting and his dad leaving at an early age and becoming star man. He's actually a rather well-adjusted human being. <laughs> and again, here at page seven, I like this scene. We get Will flying off from his house. And again, just this, the pattern of his... his Because uh, when he flies, he kind of glows and he leaves a glowing pattern when he flies. I don't know how much of that pattern is stays that trail stays after he flies off and out of it is just a, a thing for us to see how he's flying where he's going uh, i would imagine that he's probably got that long of a trail that you can actually see i'm sure that's a lot of that's just for readers just art wise uh, and i like it it's, it's it's a good way to show how he's flying and again a lot of times it's hard to show flight but you get characters like this starfire is kind of the same way she has her long flowing hair and it, it seems a little longer, and they kind of use that to help for flights. Same with Firestorm's uh, hair. His flaming head can help show his flight. So I, I do like this pattern he has here, you know, showing how he flies. And then he's talking about how, you know, Jane's upset that her mom won't talk about their dad. But he thinks, well, you know, we haven't told mom about me being Starman. Is it fair that we expect her to talk and we won't tell her my secrets? And again, he's got a fair point there. I mean... Jane wants his mom to open up about everything, but uh, they're being rather cagey, not mentioning anything about what's going on with Will. And again, we just get some next couple pages. I like these next this next page or two. We switch back and forth between Jane talking to her boyfriend Rick and Will flying in the sky, and they're both kind of Jane's talking to her boyfriend about. What happened with her dad? How her mom doesn't want to talk about it. Will's thinking about his dad about how, you know, if his dad hadn't run in front of that truck, they may have never seen him again. And Will's kind of upset. He's like, you know, why couldn't I have been there to save the boy? The truck wouldn't have hurt me. Because again, as we know, Will's super powerful. He's strong and not invulnerable, if you will. And as a superhero and as a very guilt-ridden person, he, he's got a lot of guilt built up about things that he can't or he doesn't, he doesn't stop that he thinks he could. Whether that's accurate or fair to himself to do that, that's the kind of guy Will is. He's kind of a, uh, a Marvel character at that point where he feels a lot of guilt for things. Either a Catholic or a Marvel character, one of the two. And then we cut back to the morning time and we get Power Girl under the control of Dr. Polaris. And again, Dr. Polaris, if you're not familiar with him, is an old uh, Green Lantern villain, if I'm not mistaken. He's fought Green Lantern quite a bit. He's basically DC's answer to... Magneto without all the, the Nazis and Jew uh, background <laughs> built into it. But and he's not as, I don't know, if, I don't think he's as powerful. He's not as 
Magneto like an A-list villain. Doctor Polaris is more of a B or C level villain. I, I would say. Again, if you're a fan of Doctor Polaris and, and you think I'm making light of his abilities and his power level, please write in. Let me know. You can send your complaints to Pat Sampson at. No, I'm just, <laughs> let me know if you guys think I'm wrong. Again, S is in Starman. M is in Manhunter. A is Adventure. A is an Hour. S M A H at headspeaks.com. Let me know what you think. Is Dr. Polaris a better villain I'm giving him credit for? Or am I right on the money? Again, I'm wanting to know. But again, he takes off her, her signal device and destroys that. And then we get back to Will talking to his uh, potential employer, possibly he wants to, possibly girlfriend if he would pull his head out of his butt. A hot blonde Carol. Again, as my buddy there, the old shag says, she is hot. But again, he's talking to her about his home situation and saying how he wishes he had some place to crash. And she's like, I'll tell you what, I'll keep a sleeping bag on one of these desks for you if you come to work for me. He's like, you never give up, do you? Who, me? Not when I need a good copywriter. And the best one in the Phoenix is running around loose. And again, I, I, I do love superheroes and the whole secret identity thing I'm willing to give. A lot of people complain about that. I'm willing to give that... What it is, I mean, it's part of the superhero identity. I don't like when superheroes tell everyone who they are. Uh, people say, well, it's more realistic. Shut up with the realistic comments. But I think, personally, and maybe it's because uh, Carol's a hot blonde, but I think he ought to tell Carol who he is and give her a try, both as a potential girlfriend and employer. And again, because again, also he says here that Carol could always cheer him up. That's a good sign to me anyways. And he talked about it might be fun to work with Carol again, might become a couple again, but then if he has a nine-to-five job, that wouldn't leave much time for Starman because you never know when someone's going to need help. And as he's thinking that, here's police siren, so he flies down, find the cops that arrested somebody. He's like, hey, "Can I do anything to help you, officers?" "Nope, everything's under control." So I'm kind of surprised to see, see you here. I thought you were involved up in Vegas. I thought you maybe moved up there. And he was like, "Oh, just uh, part of the part of the Southwest. I was covering the whole area." And one of the cops is like, I wonder if he gets autographs. And again, uh, he thinks about how Superman has said that sometimes he worries about people getting too dependent on him. And Will's like, it looks like the least of my worries. Maybe Superman's not as neat as much as I thought. So again, it gives him some, some thought that maybe he, he's not as needed. Maybe he can hold down a 9-to-5 job. But like I was saying a little bit ago, I think that if he told Carol who he is, again, it would do more for their relationship future as a couple. If it worked out that way, plus if she is his employer and she knows he's Starman, I think the little we've seen Carol in this book, I and again, I could be wrong, but I, I think she could be open or she'd be willing to actually be a little giving, be a little uh, flexible when it came to his hours if need be, seeing how he's out saving the city. And then he gets, he said when he gets home, he gets a phone call. Uh, had a call from his publisher, so he called his publisher back, and uh, what's his boss's name? Chuck. Will's hoping that maybe Chuck's got some more work, and we find out that the writer's computer ate his hard disk, and the guy didn't have a backup. Again, speaking as an ex-computer guy, and some of us worked a lot with computers, and from reading this here, let me warn you guys, if you do anything on computers, if you're a writer or anything at all, make sure you save frequently. Saving your work constantly and backing it up's a good thing someone needs to tell this writer that but anyways enough about that so uh chuck tells me it's a temporary thing but if anything else you know if you come across any freelance gigs feel free to take them you know we're gonna be a little bit it was like any other freelance work is not what i want uh, maybe it's time i try something steadier he's like okay carol if you still want me so he picks up the phone to call carol apparently to tell her he's willing to start working for her and then we cut back to Polaris and Power Girl. Uh, again, Polaris is doing the, he's got the Supergirl capture, so he's sprouting his, uh, what he's got going on. You call yourself Power Girl? Forgive me, my dear, but you might, but your mind is nothing compared to the limitless power of ultramagnetism. I think I was just squandering this power, working to improve the lives of the ignorant masses. I must thank you, girl. Your arrival woke me, gold me, showed me the true calling to ravage, plunder, and no. And again, Dr. Polaris, I haven't talked much about him. He is, I guess I said earlier, a Green Lantern villain. He's got a split personality. Uh, the evil Dr. Polaris 
And then you got the good Neil Emerson, who, again, he doesn't like becoming Dr. Polaris. That, that, again, he's got an split personality, complete opposite of who he really is. And so he, it's kind of like Neil's a captive of Dr. Polaris in the mind. And he's kind of freaking, he's kind of freeing himself here. He's like, break free, please. You must stop me before I stop you. The girl kind of, power girl kind of frees herself as he throws this huge piece of metal at her, piece of machinery it looks like. And again, they do a little bit of fighting and power girl decides to fly away. And she realizes she's in New Mexico. So she goes to a payphone, calls the Justice League International, but all lines are busy. She's like, busy? That number's supposed to be open to members at all times. Screw ups. So she has nobody to call for backup. The Justice League line's busy. Her communicators have been destroyed. And she's like, realizes she's in the southwestern New Mexico, not far from Arizona. And so she knows of a character, of a gentleman, that could help her. Again, she met uh, Starman back during the invasion issues, if you remember right, back when uh, Firestorm crossed over into the book. And then we cut back to Will saying how he told Carrie to report to work Monday morning. And like this, she practically jumped through the phone and kissed me. This is going to be all right. All right, all right, all right. And his mom comes in the room complaining, you know, that apparently dinner is burning on the stove and he couldn't smell it. And Will kind of walks out of the room. And again, it's part of Will not being human, not thinking about it. I mean, it could just be he was distracted talking to Carol on the phone because, again, I think he's in love. And he's got a job. But it's also the fact that if he's not paying attention, as we've talked about and as he's, he's, he's fretted before, he's no longer completely human, so he doesn't need to breathe, which means he probably doesn't need to smell if he's not thinking about it. So he's sidetracked on his phone call, not thinking about smelling, so he doesn't smell that dinner's burning. As he walks off, the phone rings, Jane picks it up, and she says that, you know, it's Power Girl, she needs to speak with Starman. Jane's like, Will, I think it's for you. And then we get Starman later on flying away, He's like, how did Power Girl get my phone number? We were dealing in that ship. She did hook up the satellite so I could call home, but I pushed the number myself. She wasn't watching, was she? And he gives a little editor's note way back in issue number five, and that's when I talked about it over in the uh, during the invasion part of the podcast. And he's like, well, I won't find out until, until I find her and give her hands to this like, magnetic psycho she's run up against. And again, Will's like, that shouldn't take too long. So what Superman could do with two of us. As he flies up, Power Girl comes flying out of the building, flies into him, and he's like, what the heck? And he notices that she's got a chunk of girder around her, and uh, he, he frees her from the girder, and all of a sudden the girder wraps around him instead, leaving Power Girl to fall to the ground, and Will's sitting there with a chunk of metal wrapped around him. So again, we're talking about Starman. He's got the power of a star, a sun. So he melts the girder off, flies down, and captures Power Girl for she, she hits something and cushions the blow with his body, knocking himself unconscious. And here on the last page, we get Dr. Polaris holding up Starman and Power Girl. And she's like, you should have called her the Justice League. That would have been a challenge. The two of you are no threat to me. You hardly seem worth killing. Perhaps I can put some good use to you. You should make most amusing lab animals. And then it says continue next issue. And the name of the issue is blurb covered out. It's got a blurb over it. It says, shh, we're keeping the title of Starman number 18 a secret for now. But we will tell you that it requires a dramatic turning point in the life of Will Payton. A word to the wise. Don't miss it. And again, it's been a few years since I've read this. I don't remember what the uh, turning point is at this point. I don't think it's a new costume yet, but I don't recall offhand. And again, Brian Agostino, the editor, says there's big, big changes in Will's personal life. In the Battle Royale with that magnetic nutball, Dr. Polaris. What more could you want? Don't miss it or we'll miss you. See you then. <laughs> so again, another great issue. I love the art in this book. It's the four-color superhero art, as I always talk about. I love this. Uh, heck with you, Shag. I love this costume. Much better than the black, the grim and gritty black 80s, or I'm sorry, 90s Starman costume. I, I love the way this costume looks. It's very colorful to me. It's what a superhero costume should be. Not everyone could pull off the yellow and purple, but I think that Starman's doing a, a damn good job of it. Uh, but not also to say about it. I mean, Dr. Polaris, I'm familiar with him somewhat from Green Lantern. I'm not a huge Dr. Polaris fan, but I do know of him. And he's, he's an okay villain. Again, like I said, he's, he's a Magneto-type villain, but whereas Magneto 
is an A-list villain. Dr. Polaris is usually played as a B-level villain at best. And I don't know why that is. I mean, uh, they've got the same powers. I mean, Eric's got his whole, like I said earlier, the German and Nazis and the Holocaust thing behind him. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I wouldn't think that would make him such a greater character than Doctor Polaris is. Uh, maybe it's just that DC hasn't done as much of Doctor Polaris because he is kind of a Magneto uh, a rip off. I don't want to say a rip off. I mean, he's got the same powers, and that's it. He's got a totally different costume. He's got a totally different background. Whereas Magneto is usually just psychotic, upset, you know, because what happened to his family. Polaris has that bipolar thing going on. So he's a different, totally different character. He's got some similar powers. I, I don't know. Again, I, I would assume it's probably a lot of it's just the fact that DC hasn't done as much as they could slash should slash whatever with Dr. Polaris. Oh, are you guys a fan of Dr. Polaris? Let me know. Write in. Leave a comment on the, the comment section somewhere. Either on the, the Facebook page, the website. Wherever, let me know what you think about Dr. Polaris. Do you guys like him? Uh, are you familiar with him from Green Lantern, or is this your first time seeing him? Because, uh, again, he's a very powerful character, and if done right, and taking, again, in quotes, seriously, he could be a very powerful character. So, I don't know. Like I said, I think Lyle does a great job with the facial expressions, the, the uh, just the, the color, not coloring, but the... Uh, like I talked about the way he flies, we see that, that stream behind him showing where he's coming from. Uh, when Power Girl bumps into him here on page 19, she flies into him. You get the wound, the, 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 him, her hitting him. It's just, a, it's a great, great artwork. I, I love this book. I think out of, and again, I will say out of Starman and Manhunter, the two books I cover on this show, Starman is my more favorite it's continually a better book, in my opinion. I enjoy Manhunter, don't get me wrong. That's why I team the two up in my podcast. But I, I really enjoy Starman a lot. It's a great book. It's more of the four-color superhero antics that I love. So uh, what do you guys think about Starman? Again, as I've been saying, write in. Let me know. I'm curious to hear from you guys. I'm going to play another promo, too, and I'll be right back with you guys uh, for our next segment. Please hold on. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hey, who likes Wild Dog? Who likes the dog sound? Who likes the dog sound? No, 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 no. I'm taking this podcast seriously. There's no way that song will appear anywhere in the show or even the commercials. I'm doing this right. I'm FKA Jason of the Silver and Gold Podcast. On September 17, 2016, a new show will be appearing on the SNG feed. Wild Pod, a Wild Dog Podcast is a miniseries covering the DC Comics character that is sort of their answer to the Punisher, Wild Dog. I'll be covering the original four-issue miniseries, the 1989 special, and various other appearances of Wild Dog. Watch for it at SNGPod.com or the Silver and Gold feed on iTunes and Stitcher. Vance, why do we even own that CD? Batman Nightcast, a thrilling new podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, hosted by Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin. Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders' adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Highlights from this legendary era include Batman number 400, Legends, Mike Barr and Alan Davis, Batman Year One, Batman Year Two, Max Allen Collins, Ugh. Um, the new Jason Todd, Ugh. Millennium? You're not doing this right. Let me take over. Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park? Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh, yeah. Son of the Demon. The Killing Joke. A Death in the Family. Batman Year 3. A Lonely Place of Dying. 
Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Counts. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman? The rise of Tim Drake. Legends of the Dark Knight. And that's just up until 1989. Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that? You'll have to tune in to find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, When Batman Fires Dick Grayson. You want to find another co-host? Welcome back to our show. And now here we go with... Copy Comics, Comic Rack. Uh, this is for the books that were on sale October of 1989. Uh, first up, we're going to mention Action Comics 647. This is part of the Brainiac tri- 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 Trilogy. I couldn't pronounce that word for a minute there. It's part one of that. Uh, he has a dream which recall- recalls his activities as a gangbuster... I uh, hear Brainiac trying to reload, root, root around in his mind. Well, that's a hard word for me to say. Apparently, Brainiac escaped the facilities that Luther is holding them in. Uh, I vaguely seem to remember the storyline. I really enjoyed it. Uh, also on sale this month was, let me see, The Adventures of Bayou Billy number three. I don't, if I, I don't remember if I bought this one, like I said, last month. I know I bought the first issue of it just because I played the video game. And I was a bit of a comic whore buying almost everything I could. Uh, moving on from there, there was The Adventures of Superman 461. Uh, this must have taken place before the uh, the Action Comics, because this isn't a part of the uh, Brainiac storyline. This one's got a cover of Superman, and it looks like he's protecting Ma, uh, his, uh, Jarrell and Laura. This was shortly before the triangle numbering started on the cover, down in the uh, where the UPC symbol normally goes. They would have, you know, don't miss the Action Comics number, da-da-da, next week. So, again, they're kind of starting to lead up where they're connecting the stories, which I really enjoyed. I thought that was a great time for Superman comics. This was up to there known as the Triangle Era. Again, uh, more for uh, more on Superman at this time. Check out Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor's from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. I love that show. That's one of the ones that got me started. One of the first ones I started listening to. Check them out. Michael and Jeffrey does a great show. Especially, I love this era of Superman, so definitely check them out. Also on sale this month, uh, moving along, there was uh, Amazing Spider-Man 327. This was Spider-Man fighting Magneto, it looks like, on the cover. Uh, again, this is reprinted in the Cosmic Adventures trade paperback. Okay, yeah, see here, it's part of the Axe of Vengeance storyline. This was still part of the Cosmic Spider-Man story, where I talked about last month, where Spider-Man had the... Uh, Captain Universe, I think his name was, Powers. He started getting them slowly. Also this month was Animal Man 18. This was the Grant Morrison run. I love this first 24, 26 issues of Animal Man. It was a fantastic book. Again, as I said, I may cover that at some point, somewhere. I'm not sure where yet. Uh, We'll have to wait and see. But I I loved Animal Man. It was a great series. Uh, Then there was a bunch of Archies as usual. Archie's RC Racers. I think I picked up the first issue of this one also. This was issue three. I may have picked up the first one of that, maybe. I'm not sure now, looking at it. Arkham Asylum hardcover. This was a painted book. Uh, it was written by Grant Morrison, art by Dave McKean. Uh, this was a Batman look, uh, Batman book that was kind of a look at Arkham Asylum. I remember having this. I bought this. I got bought it from one of those uh, comic companies you found, like Mile High or something like that, you found in the the comics at the time. I bought this a little bit later on, I believe. Avengers number 312. This was, again, part of the Axe Avengers storyline. It was the Avengers taking on the uh, the X-Men villains. Freedom Force? Is that what they're called? No, the uh, with the Blob and Pyro and Earthquake. I forget the name of their group, but, again, part of the Axe Avengers where the heroes are traded off villains and so forth. Avengers Spotlight 27. This was a solo book. Also part of the Acts of Vengeance. And also this month was Avengers West Coast. Part of the Acts of Vengeance storyline. Uh, also this month there was Batman number 442. This was part of A Lonely Place of Dying. This was the introduction of Tim Drake as Robin. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, this tie- crossed over with the, team, the New Titans. 
Uh, again, I love this this run of Batman. As Shag would say, this was my Batman phase. Uh, this was a great storyline, though. Lonely Place of Dying. I love that. Recently, they uh, James what's his name James Tynan something like that did that in the current Batman or Detective books. They did a Lonely Place of Living, I believe it was called. Let me see. This was the only place to die. So yeah, I just recently did the only place of living, which is a very good crossover, bringing Tim back into the books. So it's kind of poetic that this introduced him and the new books and Detective brought him back. Uh, moving on from there, there was Captain America 365, part of Dax of Vengeance. Oh, I'm sorry. For more on Batman, check out Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin's Dark Knight podcast. That's a great podcast. It's coming a little slow right now because of Ryan's life issues but oh that came out right but yeah check out that's a great podcast looking at a great a good era right now they're they're in the early episodes when some weren't quite so great but still check it out it's a good it's a good podcast anyways um like i said captain america 365 part of the acts of vengeance captain america fighting namor captain adam number 35 was out this month uh got captain america captain america, captain adam and major force on the cover and it says, at last, Secret of Silver Shield, which I don't remember offhand. I was reading the book at this point. Uh, apparently, he was depowered before this, and at this storyline, he gets his powers back. I, I have to give those a reread. I enjoyed Captain Adam. I'll have to reread those. Peacemaker, I'm sorry, Checkmate number 23. This has Peacemaker front and center on the cover. Uh, he's like, buy or die, holding his gun up. For more on Checkmate, check out my podcast the Task Force X podcast, where I talk about Suicide Squad and Checkmate. Currently, I'm a few issues behind this one. I'm covering the Janus uh, Directive storyline, the crossover with Firestorm and Captain Adam and Checkmate and Suicide Squad and a couple other books. Uh, but check out that if you want to hear more about Checkmate. Uh, this month was also Christmas, the Superheroes number two. Even though these books were on sale in October, these were the December dated books. I had this one. Uh, in fact, I think I still have it out in my in my garage, in my com comic boxes. This had a Superman story, Batman, Wonder Woman, Enemy Ace, Flash, Green Lantern, and oh, this was the one with the great Dead Man story called "Should All Acquaintances Be Forgot." It kind of brings back Kara Zor-El Zor for this one story, the one that died in the crisis which they're saying she didn't exist anymore. Uh, this was a good story. It was very heartwarming. Great book. A classic X-Men 42. Still reprinting the Dark Phoenix saga. Uh, moving on from there. Damage Control number two, part of the Axe of Vengeance storyline. I've talked about Damage Control last month. Daredevil 275. Uh, check out, still going on, J. David Weider's uh, Daredevil podcast. Also this month was Detective Comics 6. 09, it looks like Batman's taken on Anarchy. Again, if we're on Detective Comics, check out the aforementioned Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin Dark Knight podcast. Dr. Fate 11, uh, this was the written by J.M. DiMatteis. Uh, this was the, if not mistaken, this is the Linda Strauss, Eric Strauss uh, version of Dr. Fate and them together. Uh, moving on from there, we have, let me take a look where I'm at. Hey, yeah, I'm reading these all of Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Mike's got a great site. Definitely check that out. Uh, Doom Patrol 28. This was part of the Grant Morrison retake after uh, Paul Kupperberg's Doom Patrol. This wasn't bad. This I, I like this version of Doom Patrol. I enjoyed Paul Kupperberg's version better because, again, it was more straightforward superhero stories, whereas Grant Morrison started taking it into the weird and sublime, and it would just go even further with other writers. I eventually kind of lost interest in New Patrol. But I was enjoying it at this point. Also this month, there was Excalibur number 17, which was part of the cross-time caper. Again, I think I read my friend Billy's books at this point. Fantastic Four 335, part of the Axe of Vengeance storyline. Uh, moving on from there, Firestorm number 92. This was part, as I talked about last month, the Elemental War. This is where we got Naid, I believe her name is. And she's this is a four-part crossover in Firestorm. Again, just written by John Oshender, same guy who did Manhunter. Uh, I, I love, again, 
as I said before, I love the the uh, Jerry Conway version of Firestorm better, but I really like what John Ostrander was doing. In fact, I picked up the book and started buying it when John was writing it, because that's when I got into comics. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this was a darker, a different Firestorm than what came before. Uh, Flash number 33. Again, this is leading up to Flash 35, which we talked about a month or two ago here on the show. Uh, moving on from there, G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero number 95. This was part of the Snake Eyes trilogy. Great cover, Snake Eyes standing on the cover. Cobra Signia behind him, bodies laying around him. He got a sword in his hand, his shirt sleeves ripped. Again, I love G.I. Joe. For more on G.I. Joe, check out my G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. I'm sorry, Real American Headcast uh, show where I talk about the month, book monthly. Green Arrow number 26. That was uh, written by John, uh, I'm sorry, Mike Grell. Again, I was, again, I can't remember when I started buying Green, Lan Green Arrow and when I was reading Billy's, but Green Arrow was a pretty good book. This was more a, a realistic, again in quotes, look at Green Arrow. Uh, he would switch to using regular arrows. He was a darker character at this point. For more on Green Arrow, check out Warlord Worlds. My friends of the show, Ruth and uh, Darren Sutherland. Great couple, great podcasters. Check out their shows. Green Lantern, Emerald Dawn number one. This was kind of a retelling of Green Lantern's origins. If I remember correctly, uh, there was two different series for this. There was Green Lantern, Emerald Dawn, and then Emerald Dawn 2 a little bit later on. And if I remember, I thought I said this kind of retold uh, Hal's first days as Green Lantern. Uh, moving on from there, we have Hawk and Dove number seven. Love that book. I plan on covering it at some point. Uh, the Hunters number nine. This is the mafioso's daughter here. The Incredible Hulk 364, which was part of a countdown storyline. Uh, uh, had a Incredible Hulk fighting the Abomination. This was being written by Peter David. I, I loved the Hulk at this time. This was right before the, uh, the Professor's book, which I really loved. The Professor storyline. Iron Man 251, which begins part of the Acts of Vengeance storyline. Looks like Iron Man's taking on the Wrecking Crew. Uh, moving on from there, Just League Europe, number 33, and Just League Europe, let me try that again. Just League America, number 33, with, uh, on the covers, got Guy Gardner and Kilowog arm wrestling, and then the Just League Europe, number eight. Again, great books. I loved them. Again, for more on Just League International, Just League America, Just League Europe, check out the Just League International Wahaha podcast by... Friend of the show, the Ernie Old Shag. Legion, 80, Legion 89, number 10. This has uh, Strat, I think her name was, Fighting Lobo. Moving on from there, we have the Legends of the Dark Knight 1. I've been picking up, I've got like a couple different sets of these. These were the first new Batman book in a while. There was four different covers, a blue, yellow, orange, and pink background. I remember picking those up. It was a good story. It was supposed to be out of continuity stories. Eventually, some of the stories would go be continuity-wise or in timeline, whatever you want to say. It's Legion of Superheroes number two. This was the five years later by Giffen. Uh, a good series. I enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, moving on from there, uh, Manhunter number 20, which we talked about earlier this episode. Mark Spector Moon Knight number nine. Uh, Marvel Comics Presents 38, 39, 40. Uh, moving on from there, there was uh, Mr. Miracle number 11. I love this this, this series. Uh, I, I try to get in the New Gods. I pick up some of their books on and off. But out of all the New Gods, Mr. Miracle is my favorite, and I, I enjoyed his book. Uh, moving on from there, Mutant Misadventures of Cloak and Dagger number 9. New Gods number 10, which I think I picked up. Again, I was trying it. New Mutants 84. I think I read Billy's copy of this. New Titans number 61, part of the Lonely Place of Dying storyline. We get Batman Nightwing on the cover of this. Love this New Titans. Love this storyline. Great. Uh, let me see what else was out this month. Official Handbook of the Marvel Universe. Update 89, number 8. There was Police Academy number 4. I wasn't buying it, but I love the movies. Power Pack number 52. This is Power Pack no more on the cover. And I'm just looking, seeing if there was a next issue. There was a next issue, so it's not the end of them. But yes, it's Power Pack No More. I wasn't buying this at the time. I don't know if I read Billy's or not. Uh, Punisher number 28. Punisher Magazine number 5. Punisher Origin number 13. This is the Punisher. What can I say? So, uh, I enjoyed the Punisher at the time. Quasar number 5. Part of the Acts of Vengeance. Again, this is Quasar fighting the Absorbing Man. 
For more on Quasar, check out uh, Adam Worth and Gene Hendrix's Quantum Cast podcast. Question number 32. Uh, moving on, other books. Secret Origins number 46. This was the origins of the Legion of Superheroes headquarters, the New Titans headquarters, and the Just League America mountain base. Uh, check out Friend of the Show's Ryan Daly's defunct Secret Origins podcast. I was on there three times talking about, uh, I think it was all Suicide Squad stuff. Dr. Light, Nightshade, and the Origin of Suicide Squad. It was a great podcast. I enjoyed being on it. I enjoyed listening to it. Uh, check it out. Sensational She-Hulk number 10. This, I think, was being written by John Byrne, if I'm not mistaken. No, this issue was written by Steve Gerber. I think John Byrne had rebooted this one, but yeah, this was written by Steve Gerber, penciled by Brian Hitch. Hmm. I think by Al Milgram, which was a Firestorm uh, artist. Very good. Uh, moving on, there was, let me see, Spectacular, whoops, Spectacular Spider-Man, number 39, uh, Spectre 31, that was a good book. Uh, Starman 17, which we just talked about. Suicide Squad number 35, this is uh, Lashina standing with the Suicide Squad and some other members of Apocalypse scattered around her. Again, for more on that, check out my Task Force X podcast. Superman number 38 uh, covers his unnatural disasters. I remember this cover. It's got Superman pouring rain, lightning around him. He's got a child or someone wrapped up in his cape. Uh, definitely check out. This is a great run of Superman. I love this. Uh, moving on from there, we have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 26. Transformers 51. Check out Friend of the Show again for Transformers. I love that book. That was the second one I got reading when I got into comics. Uh, friend of the show, John Schaefer-Hames, and some friends from over on the uh, Longbox Crusade have started a new Transformers podcast. Uh, look for that. It's great. It's part of, I think it's on the Longbox Crusade feed, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, X-Men 256, Unknown Soldier number 12. This was the last issue of that series. Web of Spider-Man number 59. Looks like Spider-Man, part of the Axe of Vengeance. This was the Cosmic Spider-Man or leading up to it. Great storyline. What if number eight? This is what if Iron Man had lost the Armor Wars. And let me see what else. Wild Dog Special number one. I think I had this one. I enjoyed Wild Dog. Uh, again, a buddy of the show, uh, Jay Jones, does have a Wild Dog podcast. Uh, or he did have. He hasn't come out in a while. His own personal issues going on, but great show. Great book. Wolverine number 19, Wonder Woman 37, and finally X-Factor 49, Iceman versus Archangel. Again, I think I was reading Billy's books at the time on this one. I keep talking about Billy. He was a good friend of mine, as I've talked about before, that, uh, again, we both collected comics. I got started and then got him into it, and he bought for several years before he got too old and mature for it, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> so I read a lot of his books as I've talked about before. X Factor was what I call a Billy book. But anyways, those were the books that were on sale October of 1989. Uh, if you haven't read some of those, uh, I read off the ones I recommended. Again, there's more than that. If you want to see everything, check out Mike's Amazing World of Comics. You can look at per month or the title or whatever you want to look it up by. But those are the ones that have either some meaning for me or something I bought or something that my attention was brought to so anyways that's gonna do it for this month until next time i guess i don't have much else to say on this like i say every month star hunters keep looking to the stars Thank you for listening to another great episode of the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Please join us next month for another great, fantastic episode as we cover another issue of the Will Payton Starman series and the Mark Shaw Manhunter series. Uh, keep in mind that these podcasts are not affiliated or endorsed by DC Comics. I'm just a fanboy who loves these comics and wants to spread these love with everyone else out there and just talk about them. Um, again, you can email us at smah at headspeaks.com or you can go to our blog, which is at starman-manhunter.headspeaks.com.
facebook.com. You can also go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. No spaces, all one word. But once again, thank you very much for joining us. Until next episode, this is Aaron Moss saying, see you in the funny pages. <laughs>